Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Uh, You know, I could hear that over there with with this bad ear. I could actually hear you guys. That's good, man. That's really good. Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. And um, before we get started on this second part of Galatians, uh, I just want to once again remind you this is our final chance this week to to give to Current Life Services. Uh, It's a very important ministry here in town. In fact, it's just right down the road. And uh, they specialize in helping uh, women, single moms, potential moms, um, not abort their, their children. And because we are followers of Christ and we believe in the scriptures, we believe that all life is very valuable. Amen to that one right there. In Psalm 139, uh, David is writing, and he's writing about his life, and he's making certain statements about being in the womb, and they're very important, and they're biblical, therefore they're true. And he the way he describes it is you understand from the Hebrew words that that baby, him being formed in the womb there, is uh, both a physical and spiritual person. So it's a person. And when he says, and you wove me in my mother's womb, it's the idea that God is right there. God's right there with that baby, uh, growing, him, uh, growing that child. And so we know also from science, embryology said, you know, 97, 98% of embryologists, they say that life begins at conception. And so we know that uh, all life is very, very important. And that is a human life in the womb there. And so I always ask you once a year, myself included in that, you know, pray and ask God, what would you give above your tithe to save some babies this year for Colonel Life Services? And I'm sure last week, Pastor Charlie announced that I announced it two weeks ago. And you can mark that extra amount on however you do it. You can go online and give it through the church. Every penny goes to them. And we believe very strongly in that ministry. Amen to that one? Yeah, so please please take that into strong consideration. Um, This week, uh, we're going to go now. If if you're joining us for the first time, what we do on Sunday mornings is... We'll go through, like last year, we took a whole year to go through Acts, but we broke it up into four, seven chapters, and uh, we'll do topical studies in between. And right now, this year, we're going to go through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians on Sunday morning, and we don't do it so much verse by verse. We take the topic out of it and go from there, even though I'll cover every verse this morning. And then in between each book, we'll go into topical studies, then I'll come back, we'll do Ephesians, etc. And that's the way we operate on Sunday mornings. Tuesdays, Tuesdays, we record, I teach a verse by verse study where in Joshua. This week we're going to go into the story of Rahab, an actual event in history in the city of Jericho, and so that's going to be a good one too. So that's where we're at. Today I want to talk to you in chapter 2 of Galatians um, about grace through faith, the better way. And if you think about better ways, um, in our lifetime, my lifetime, we've seen a lot of things improved and made better. And Amen to that one right there? I mean, there's been some real improvements of things, things made easier. One of the things I most appreciate is is the ketchup bottle upside down, the plastic bottle. Anyone appreciate that right there? Because how many years did we spend, right? Hitting the ketchup bottle. You know, why did that, can I ask, why did that take so long to figure out that that's really a rough one right there? You know, who back there in the laboratory at Heinz or wherever said, you know, I think there's a better way here. And you know, you know, whatever it is. You know, but so I appreciate that easier way that they came up with. 
But one of the ways it's easier nowadays that I'm kind of frustrated with is, um, is my truck is a 2000, I bought it in 2017, but now the new trucks, have you noticed the back bumper on the corners? They have that little indentation so you can step on. Has anyone noticed that? My truck doesn't have that. And I see that now and I thought, well, really? Now you come up with it? You could have done this back in, you know, 2016 or whatever, and I could have had that too, because that's a lot easier right there. Now, all you older people, you younger people, you have no idea, you've only heard stories, maybe you've watched television shows it, it from history or whatever on this one. But, you see, one of the great improvements that makes life better in our life is the remote control. <laughs> all the old people, I heard the groans and the moans and the trauma, Right? Because us older people, when we were young, guess who was the remote control? We were. We're still in counseling. That was our identity. Hey, uh, what's your name? Remote. Yeah, no. And so we were the remote control. And our parents would make us get up and don't forget the pliers, right? Say, pliers? What kind of crazy world did you old people grow up in? Well, because our, our televisions, they, you know, they, you had to turn knobs. You guys know what knobs are, right? But anyway, had this plastic knob with all the two, four, six, you know, et cetera, and you turn it. But after a couple of years, what would happen to the knob? It'd break because it's plastic. And so then you'd have this little metal thing coming out, and you have to take the pliers or the vice grips, or something, you just leave the vice grips on there. Any amens on that one? And, thar, and you're turning the TV. And so that's what you would do, and that's the way it was. And God bless you. Let's go eat now. It's a message. And so, um, so life is better. I mean, some of us in this room, we've, we've been in counseling over the trauma of being thought we were remote. But, um, but I have a reverse beef with certain things. I think some things that were supposedly made better, I, don't, I like the old way better. And let me tell you one of them. Remember high beams? <laughs> Wasn't that better? I mean, sometimes, how many of you, honestly, you couldn't find your high beams? Where, where, where at? Anybody? I'm the only one. Praise the Lord. Okay. Yeah, Jim, you got problems. All right. Yeah, yeah I have problems. Um, but I liked it on the front. I could, some of you guys, well, what you, there was this little round cylinder about this big, and it was on the floor in your left foot, and you knew where it was at. Try that. No, I'm just joking. And so your high beams, you hit it, high beams go on, hit it again, high beams back to normal again. Remember that? I like that better. I think it's much easier than, than doing that, doing it the other way. So the, so there's, but there's a lot of things that have been made better. And today, I'm going to talk to you about a better way and this better way of grace. Now, how many of you remember, um, this was uh, about three weeks ago, I came hobbling out on stage. Anyone remember that? Yeah, oh, you remember that. Okay. So, um, so I come hobbling, because my ankle... I had heard it backpacking and I went to the doctor finally after I came back from vacation and he said I got I've got tendonitis in there but if I keep working it it'll get better and then of course he added and of course you're getting older <laughs> you know you know I got it okay doc I, I hear that every and by the way this was not my regular doctor I went to see a different doctor to get in because my regular doctor take two months to see and then this guy comes out and this guy looks like he just graduated fifth grade you know it's like <laughs> really you're really going to tell me something okay you know but he was really good he was very good but I have tendonitis now I hurt my ankle walking out backpacking uh, on the trail and that's how it got that way and I, nothing I did particularly it just somehow it just started hurting and, and when I was like in my 20s and 30s and I've been backpacking the high Sierras for 44 years this is one of my favorite things that I do and um uh, 
And this time, you know, when I climbed over a pass, now I realize now why I don't climb over passes anymore because I'm just, like the doctor said, you're getting older, okay? And, um, but I've, been, I've climbed over 12,000, not counting Whitney. I've been to the top of Whitney, not with a full pack. I've done that twice. But I've climbed over 12,000 seven-foot passes. I think Bishop Pass was the highest one with a full pack on, even into my 40s, and I could do it, no problem. But uh, as I got older, I, I started to realize that back when I used to carry 45 pounds, Steve, you carry like 85 pounds and stuff like that. Steve right there used to carry a full boom box on the shoulders of his backpack. I'm not even exaggerating. I go, what in the world are you doing? But, um, but I started to carry lighter and lighter weight because I just can't carry the weight like I used to carry. And then so I find out that there's this ultra light equipment. And so let me tell you, back up. Let me tell you what, let me define ultra light equipment. Ultra light price. That's what it means, okay? Okay, meaning it costs a lot more. So I started buying ultralight equipment. I'm getting my, I got my backpack down from what I used to carry like 35, 20s and 30s, 45 pounds. I got it down to 26 pounds. That's really light, guys. That's really light. But after, and then three years ago, I buy this new backpack because my 40-year-old backpack, the belt got so old, it was just really uncomfortable. It's an, it's an antique now. You'll see it on antique archaeology and stuff like that. But... <laughs> You know, but so I buy this new backpack, the Osprey Ethier. All the guys were buying them in our backpack group and stuff like that. And it's a real good backpack. And then after a couple of years, a year and a half, whatever it was, then I find out they make ultralight backpacks. I just bought this thing for $300. Right? And now they have the ultralights and they're like $350 to $400, the good ones. And I'm sitting there, real, no one could have told me this earlier. No one could have let me know, because the ultralight backpack versus mine, and mine's a good one. My backpack empties five and a half pounds. The ultralight is a little bit under two pounds. And so I can knock off another three and a half pounds. You think, well, this is no big deal. When you're walking a high Sierra Trail and the air is thin, every ounce is a big deal, guys. I mean, you're like, <gasps> you're walking up. But I could have got my pack down to like 22 pounds possibly. That would have been outstanding because they have ultralight backpacks now. But do I want to pay the price now after I just paid for that? That's what I'm weighing right now. I don't know if I really want to. Now, carrying lighter weight when you're walking up those trails in the thin air is really important. But in your Christianity, as you walk with Christ, carrying a lighter weight of Christianity, the proper form of Christianity is very important. Any amens? Every ounce matters. Everything matters because, and I'll state this at the beginning, I may say it again, but if your Christianity feels like a heavy weight over you, then you're doing it wrong. Then you're doing it wrong. It shouldn't feel like this massive weight that you're carrying, like this massive struggle. So I came today to take you into Galatians chapter 2 to show you this better way, this lighter way to take more of the ounces off of you because there is a battle. There's a thing going on. Last week, Pastor Charlie Bacar took you into the introduction of the first chapter and the whole battle is, you know, salvation by grace through faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we have these people invading here in Galatia, which is a region in modern-day Turkey. It's um, 
But they're invading and they want to bring in the works of the law and circumcision added on to salvation. They want to, you have to do stuff to be saved. And when I talk today, I'm talking purely about salvation. How a person is saved. Not anything beyond that, not anything, just salvation and that's it. And so today we're going to do that. So if you have your Bibles or your phone or however you do it, open up to Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to take you through the first, I'm going to do about some really, really quick uh, commentary in the first 10 verses. Are you guys ready? Then we're going to do three, three points and we're going to mm, drive that baby home. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, here we go, 10 verses. This is Paul writing, then after an interval, interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. Paul last went up to visit the big guns that's what he's going to do in Jerusalem visit the big guns Peter, James, John those big gun guys James also the other James Jesus half brother but he's going to go back and he's been hadn't seen him in 14 years hadn't been in Jerusalem in 14 years now guys this is only 20 years after the resurrection do you understand how close historically that is in any writing from the actual event do you understand that I have told you the illustration before do we know that Alexander the Great existed? Yes. Did anybody write about him? Contemporaries living? Yes. Do we have any of those writings when he lived? No. The earliest writings we have are 300, around 350 years after Alexander the Great died. That's the closest. We have writings right here. And if you went back to chapter 1, you find out that Paul went and visited these guys the first time 14 years ago, five to six years after the resurrection. He's talking to the eyewitnesses. He's dialoguing with them. This is so close to the resurrection. There is nothing else in history like this historically, how close these writings are to the actual event of something like that, it's particularly us, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, with that said, Paul's going back. It's been 20 years after the resurrection, and he himself has seen the resurrected Christ. Verse 2, it was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. So he's bringing this theology with him. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. The reputation people are James and John and those guys. He's going to just talk to them, not to the crowd. Because he wants to make sure nobody's going to try to dilute this thing. Verse 3. But not even Titus who was with me, though he was a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. You see where the fight now is? We want you. They're going to try to put laws on, on these Judaizers, and you must be circumcised. But it was because, verse 4, of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. So people are coming in, and they're putting extra stuff onto the gospel, and it's going to put people into bondage. Remember that as we get into this today. Verse 5, here's Paul. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. I like Paul because does Paul play? And Paul don't play. When it comes to scripture, when it comes to theology, Paul's not going to play. He's going to tell you exactly what's right and exactly what's wrong right here. I like that guy. Verse 6. But from those who are of high reputation, now he goes back. We talked about the false brethren. Now he's going to go back to the reputation people, John, James. But of those who are of high reputation... And then he says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Don't you love that? He says, well, those who are of reputation contributed nothing to me. That sounds like a negative statement, doesn't it? 
It's not. It's a good statement. Because here's what he's saying. I talked to John. I talked to Peter. We shared the gospel, the gospel of grace through faith in Christ alone that I preach. They shared theirs. And he says, they contributed nothing to me. In other words, we're all on the same page. We're all preaching the same thing. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we're all right there. We, we're, we all got it down. Now verse 7. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. And by the way, if I was God, I would have sent Paul to the circumcised. I would have sent him to save the Jews. The guy knows all about them, right? But God does the opposite. It's a good thing I'm not God. Any amens on that? Why are you guys laughing at that one right there? Okay, verse 8. For he who effectively worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, Cephas is Peter, who were reported to be the pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. In other words, we're on the same team. So that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. I find that funny because the poor are the Christians in Jerusalem that are being persecuted now. And Peter's one of them, right? And so he's saying, hey, remember us, man. Because it's tough over here. Christians are losing jobs here. Christians are losing business. Christians are being persecuted. Gosh, sounds like today. But anyway, that's another story, right? Now, history does repeat itself. So, here we go. I got three things for you today. Uh, number one, your notes, and that's this. This is just a fun one for me, the first one. The next two will be the meaty ones. The Bible doesn't cover up embarrassing situations. Anybody glad about that? Say yes or no. Say something. Okay, good. Okay, look at verse 11. This is going to be a conflict now between Peter and Paul. But when Cephas, who's Peter, came to Antioch. Antioch? Here's Jerusalem, you're going up, Mediterranean here, going up, into Syria, here's Antioch, Aleppo, Antioch, Aleppo, Antioch, you're in Syria. Becomes a kind of a base headquarters there for them. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So now Paul says, I got in Peter's face because he wasn't acting right. Verse 12, for prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof. A Gentile is anyone who's not a Jewish person. Fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward of the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, to Peter, in the presence of all, and here's the key phrase. If you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, let me, let me just have a little fun with this, okay? So Peter, Paul met Peter down in Jerusalem, went and talked, but Paul left. Now Peter's traveled up to where Paul is in Gentile territory. And there's a lot of Gentile believers getting getting saved they're becoming Christians Peter joins them now Peter as he comes and joins the Gentile born again Christians 
Peter has experienced a new freedom. Amen? Now, does anyone remember in Acts chapter 10 and 11, the vision of the sheet coming down and Peter said, no, I'll never eat that. Anybody remember that? And God says, kill and eat. He goes, oh, no, no. He goes, God says, what I've declared holy, you no longer consider unclean. So Peter has never eaten certain foods. Peter would never hang out with Gentiles, but he's been set free by Jesus, by, by God himself. Now, Peter's hanging with Gentiles. And for the first time in his life, he's eating their food. He could never eat pork. Could you imagine the first time you bite into a baby back rib? <laughs> I can only imagine his face like. I've been missing this all my life? Can you imagine that? You, you bite in, can you imagine the first cheeseburger? Because they couldn't mix certain things. You bite into a cheeseburger? How about carnitas? First time? Right? How about anybody like pork chops? I'm Peter. I'm going, bring another one. Bring some more. He, oh, he's eating with them. He's eating foods he could never eat before. He's having a great old time. He's been set free. And then all of a sudden, these Jewish born-again, we'll call Judaizers, legalists, they come from Jerusalem up there to check it out. Peter sees them. And what he does, because you don't hang around Gentiles on the old way of thinking, you don't touch them, they make you unclean. And now what does he do? He stands aloof and he backs off and he gets away from them. Even Barnabas, who grew up in Gentile territory in Cyprus, even he pulls away. And now you see a big division happening right here because the Judaizers, they look at you and say, you have to obey the laws, you can't eat that stuff, you can't hang around with Gentiles, don't let them touch you, don't touch them. And you need to be circumcised if you're really a saved person. And so Peter pulls away. Is Paul going to have any of that? You better believe he's not going to have any of that whatsoever. And so Paul says, I told him straight to his face. In other words, I got all in the guys. You ever see a baseball player get in an umpire's face crazy? Anyone remember Billy Martin of the Yankees? Yeah, that's like that, okay? He's all over the guy. He's all over this guy's face. But here's what I love about that. Does the Bible cover up embarrassing situations? Doesn't. Doesn't know. Let me tell you something about that. True historians, they, one of the things they look for in their criteria is a criteria of embarrassment. If something written embarrasses the writers or the people, they, they, they believe that's, that's probably true because people typically don't write their embarrassing situations. They don't put it out there. Any amens? And yet the Bible keeps putting embarrassing situations out there, which tells you it probably did happen because they keep putting it out there. You know what's interesting? God delivers the Israelites from Egypt uh, about 1446 BC. Do you find in any of the Egyptian hieroglyphic writings that event at all? And the answer is no. And so historians say, oh, that didn't, never happened. That's not the issue. Do you think a Pharaoh who believes he is God is going to sit there and write in hieroglyphic stating, a man with a stick came and forced me to deliver two million people? You think he's going to do that? There's just no way. It's too embarrassing. You know what you do find in the hieroglyphics? That after the event, they went some other place and they captured 80 to 100,000 people to make them slaves in Egypt. And he made himself sound great. Well, why did they have to go get more slaves? Because two million of them got set free with a, by a man with a stick, huh? And so the Bible, I love it because it always gives you 
all the failures, all the problems, and how many can relate to that? I can relate to it. I can relate to all of it. So that was a free one, but let's drill down now, okay? Let's look at what we're really going to talk about today. Second thing, point to legalism, the wrong way. This is, I want to take you down this road of legalism, and I want to show you the wrong way to live your faith. And too many of us do this. Look at verse 14 through 18, and it says, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, to Peter, In the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Verse 15. We are Jews by nature, not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so, we, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Very important. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Very important too. Verse 17. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners. In other words, I just keep on sinning. Is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. God forbid. Verse 18. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Okay. <clears throat> Let me get into this. So Paul has gone down, visited the guys in Jerusalem. They're all on the same page. Paul leaves. Peter eventually goes and visits. And now they're up in Antioch. Peter gets up there. Now Peter's not living the very thing that they talked about back in Jerusalem. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Once again, the Judaizers who came to visit there, these people believed that salvation must be accompanied by, you got to keep all the works of the law, and you must be circumcised. Let's speak about that for a second. Can you imagine if you invite, let's say we're all Gentiles, you invite your husband to church to say, would you want to, come on, you, want, you need to get saved, but you know you'd have to have a surgery if you got saved? You, what would you say? Oh, I'll wait in the car. Yeah, I'm not going in that place. No, it's okay. But then the laws, when it says you got to keep the laws, you know how many laws they're talking about? They're talking about 613 laws. This was the big beef in Acts 15. And so they're saying, look, it's great that you confess Christ as Lord, that you believe in Him and the grace of God, but you still have to keep 613 laws and you need a surgery if you're truly saved. Is that crazy or what? Now let's break it down to simplicity and how we live right here. They're adding things onto salvation, are they not? Do we do that sometimes in our head? Yeah, we do. Let me give you three things about legalists in your notes. And if you're asking, wondering, how do I know so much about legalists? I'm an ex-legalist, okay? I, was, I walked the legalist path. I was really good at condemning and sin hunting and every, I'm, you know, and I finally started to see it decades ago. Now, let me give you three things and let me try to explain it because, and first off, every church has them. I don't care how good the church is. There are legalists in every church. There's something in our nature and it's part of the culture because do you get something for nothing? Do you have to work for it in our culture? At least it used to be that way, right? 
And so you always think that you must work for things, and which is right, you should work for things. But when it comes to salvation, it's a flip script, is it not? You can't work for it. And that really gnaws at us sometimes. So let me give you three things about legalists. The first one is, they try to make others do what they won't or can't do. They try to make others do what they're not going to do. In verse 14, it says this. Let's go back to what Paul tells Peter. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, now watch his terms. I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like these Gentiles, but you, a Jew, don't live like the Jews, but you live like the Gentiles, how is it that you compel, you try to force these Gentiles to live like the Jews? Question, is Paul living like the Jews? According to that, the answer is what? Then so, I'm Peter, I mean. But Paul says, then why are you trying to make Gentiles live like what you're not living? Did you catch that? No, did you really catch that? That's a legalist. I call them the onboard terrorists in the lobby. It's what they are. Have I had to confront legalists in the church over the years? Yeah. Because they'll hunt people down here at New Beginnings in every church. And they'll jump all over you for a certain sin. Yeah, should we walk holy? Absolutely. But they hunt people down. And they jump all over people for certain sins. But let me tell you what I found as I've had to deal with these situations over the years. I found what Paul says. You want people to live a certain way, but you're not living it. The legalist always has some sins that they're keeping, but they're going to jump all over you to change it. They're going to go after you. They're going to hunt after you. And I've had to stop some of them because they will drive people away. They will make you feel like you're not even safe unless you keep all the rules that they put on you. And you got to be careful with that kind of stuff. I don't one of the worst ones was we had a legalist and they were always jumping on people and for me only to find out that they were sleeping with their girlfriend this legalist and then got the girlfriend pregnant but they're jumping on everybody else that's a legalist they'll always try to change everybody else but they themselves are not going to change that's a legalist and they'll drive people away. Let me give you the second thing. They fear grace. They absolutely fear the grace of God. Look at verse 17. It says, but if while seeking to be justified in Christ, in other words, we're justified in Christ, we're saved, justified by faith through grace. We ourselves have also been found sinners. In other words, we're just gonna continue in sin then because we're saved. Is Christ then a minister of sin? God forbid, may it never be. So what's going on here? Um, how many of you understand when I say you really understand when I say legalism you understand okay how many of you would consider yourself an ex-legalist raise your hand did you get that on camera (laughs) Let, let me talk to you who raised your hand okay who understand legalism who really understand isn't there something inside of you and like me 
that when you say salvation by grace only, through faith only, in Christ only, doesn't that just kind of rub you wrong a little bit, those who raise your hand? Doesn't it? Because what rubs you wrong? Because it rubs me wrong too. You don't have to work for it. But what's the fear in it? Everybody's going to go do what they want to do now. I'm saved by faith through grace, or grace through faith in Christ. I'm afraid people are just going to go and sin and think, well, I can just sin. I'm saved no matter what. You follow me so far? See, so therefore a legalist comes along and they're afraid of that and therefore they must clamp down and control. Therefore, legalists are very much controllers on the inside. Any amens? Because they feel like every, the church is gonna get out of control if I don't clamp down on people because look, you can't just tell them grace through faith. They're gonna do what they wanna do. Now somebody, somebody here is gonna ask me the question. You may come up after us. Someone answer the, ask you your question and I'll answer it for you, okay? Save me some time after service. Well, Jim, won't people take advantage? Won't, if you just tell them they're saved by, by grace through faith in Christ alone, won't they just take advantage and start sinning? Yeah, maybe. Is that my responsibility? Am I? But let me tell you what I do know. If you're really saved, if you truly have the Spirit of God in you, are you just going to go out there and just sin willy-nilly? There's just no way. I talked to you three, four weeks ago. Remember when I talked to you where Peter said we're born again by the seed of the Word of God? And I said the word seed in, first, in Peter, it means spermata in the Greek. It's the sperm. It's the DNA of God. The Word of God is. So when we're born again, we get the DNA of God in us. And if you have the DNA of God in you, doesn't that promote an inside change to an outward change? Yeah? Yes or no? I don't have to worry. As, a, as an ex-legalist, I used to have to worry about everybody's got to live right. I, I don't, it's not my problem anymore. It's not my problem. Jim, you never have to confront someone. And say, yeah, every so often I have to. But I typically, if it's not a massive fire, I tell people, I go, look, you're a 10th degree black belt Christian. That's an orange belt Christian. They'll become a 10th degree if you let them but if you sit there and try to put a black belt on them and make them obey your, all your black belt rules, 613, they're going to quit and leave because they can't do that. Any amens? So you just quit charging every hill. Some hills, yeah, I'll charge. I'll charge them right away. If I see something or if I see somebody taking advantage, I'll charge it, no problem. But for the most part, I'm not going to fear grace because God gives us grace in our lives. Amen. Aren't you glad for grace? I am it's a great thing now that's the second one am I making sense so far okay good um, the third thing third bullet point is they rebuild systems that could never save anyone okay verse 18 says this watch it says Paul says for if I rebuild here's his defense for if I rebuild what I have once destroyed I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, if I go back and rebuild and I bring back the law, saved by the law and saved by circumcision, then I'm gonna be a transgressor of the whole thing. In other words, we don't wanna rebuild the old systems, okay? <clears throat> if they, look, 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 look. How do I say this? If, as a born-again believer, if you were made to believe 
that after you're, you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, but you have all these rules you gotta follow and you gotta keep following them, is that a high wall to jump over? I couldn't jump over it before I was a Christian. I can't jump over it after I'm a Christian. In Acts 15, go back and read it. it they even argue, and they say, we can't even keep these rules. None of us can, but he wants to go back and rebuild the wall up. You can't jump over the wall. So here's what happens if this continues, if Paul lets it continue, or if any church allows legalists to take over. You're gonna have a lot of people wondering if they're saved. Let's be honest now, let's be honest. Uh, this is where I want to just help some of you be freed in your mind because the enemy plays in your head be honest how many of you by a show of hands let me finish the whole statement how many of you feel like I don't think I'm saved today then tomorrow oh I think I'm saved today everyone go through that raise your hands okay I used to live that one man that's it the rest of you, good? Okay, good. Then I'm, we're doing something good here. And the reason why you do that is because you made a mistake and you sinned and you felt like I'm not saved. And that's a lie. And that's a lie. All your sins are under the blood. You can't save yourself. Everything's washed away, past, present, future. Do you know that? You're justified. You're justified. But he's going to rebuild the wall of all the laws. You've got to obey all the laws. If you rebuild the wall of all the old systems, then you're going to feel like one day I'm saved, one day I'm not. Today I did good, I'm saved. Tomorrow I, I sinned, oh, I guess I'm not saved today. And you're going to go up and down and up and down. And pretty soon you'll have enough downs where you will quit coming to fellowship, coming to church, or you'll come and pretty soon you won't worship anymore because I'm not worthy. And pretty soon you won't even come to worship anymore and you'll stay away. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's a lie you believe. And it's a lie you believe. You don't go back and rebuild the old system. Now, let me drive this thing home. Okay. You guys hear that beeping sound? Okay, just so you know, it should be fixed by tomorrow because of all the work we're doing on the um, solar. Thank you. Um, it drains the batteries of our systems here, and so they start to beep. And so by tomorrow, hopefully everything's going to be done with that. And so for a while there, I thought it was in my own head. I, uh, I didn't think that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number three, here we go. Grace through faith, the better way. The better way. Now, so I make sure. Point two, you guys understood that? I made it pretty clear? Okay, good. Now look at verse 19 to 21. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me oh yeah and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through obeying laws through the law then Christ died needlessly. First, let me point out in verse 21, if we think we're saved by obeying all the laws and everything, 
Paul's saying, then why did Christ bother coming? Then what was the point? If you and I can save ourselves through obeying all the laws, then why would Christ even come? Now, let me show you the problem. And here's the problem. We've got to get back to the issue to understand grace and faith. James 2.10. Read it with me. One, two, three. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. What does that mean? That means that there's an entire set of laws, correct? And if I just break one of these God laws, guess what I've broken? I've broken all of it. Every bit of it. That, now that's a, anybody think that's a problem right there? Okay, that, that's a big problem because one, one sin, he's saying one sin will condemn Jim Del Campo into hell. You say, well, that's not fair. Wait, I, so it was fair for Jesus to go to a cross and die for you and me? No, one sin. Anybody here commit more than 40,000 in their lifetime? <laughs> raise your hand. If you're under eight, yeah, don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> now, I want to show you how bad sin is because this whole idea that I can work for it, stop, just stop that. How Adam commits one sin. One sin. And what happens as a result of Adam's sin? Corruption comes into the world. All these false ideologies come into the world, right? The world now, this system has been, according to John, handed over to Satan. He is now the God of this world. That's why the world is crazy and upside down and why it's lost its mind. Any amens? Because it's not living by God's word. One sin brought it in. One sin caused Adam and Eve to distance with fig leaves and trees. Chapter 3, chapter 4, one sin. Satan goes after the family. Cain kills Abel. One sin. And it all comes in. I say that to ask this question. Is sin bad? It's bad enough for one sin to send us all into hell. Good works can't save anyone. That's why when the people come to my door you know two by two you know those guys <laughs> when I feel like talking most of the time I don't feel like talking to them anymore because it's like and if you do choose to remember that one of them is a trainee go after the trainee <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest okay because the other one is the, the one who's going to the trained debater and um, go after the trainee and then tell them your testimony because they don't have one um, so when they come to my door they're listen listen they will always tell you, you know, oh, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. They're going to tell you that. You can't stay right there with them. You got to get to the truth because you got to drill down in them and make and find, start asking. So I don't have to do any good works, nothing at all to be, well, you know, you have to. You got to get them to what they really believe. And what they really believe is they're saved by what they do. So once I get them there, and I'm telling you, once I get them, I say, okay, I'm saved by what good, I got to do good. Yes, I go, how many? 100? 400? 800? 1,000? Tell me how many I've got to do so now I'm saved and I don't have to do any more. Is that question answerable in their system? The answer is no. So I'll never know when I'm saved how much, well, you never know. And you got to get them to that place. 
And then you tell them your better way. Well, I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Jesus did it all, and that's good enough. Amen to that one? Now, let me share with you something as I try to drive this thing home. You know, I've got all these crazy notes in here that I added on, so it's dangerous. Uh, so I'm sitting in my college class way back in a land far away in a time long ago. and It's like 1989 or 90, and yeah, so it's like um, Vanguard University and... And so I'm, I'm uh, and my theology professor, he's brilliant, man, and he makes a statement. I thought, it's so true. And I never, you know, I, I don't think in a thousand years I'd have ever thought that one. And he said this, because remember, we're talking about law, circumcision, tacking on to self. Okay, bringing the Old Testament system and the New Testament. Okay, he says, look, in the Old Testament, the laws, the people had a relationship with laws follow me he says in the new testament we have a relationship okay back up I said the wrong word we have a relationship with in the old testament we have a relationship with laws this is the creation of God is it not okay in the new testament we don't have a relationship with the creation of God we have a relationship with the creator are you following me yes or no that's a better way to go. See, let me put it simplistically. In the Old Testament, you had a relationship with the speed limit sign. Does that make sense? But in the New Testament, I have a relationship with the one who created the speed limit sign. You following that one right there? That's why one day Jesus in John 5, he says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you find life. No, but these speak of me, he says. In other words, these represent me, your relationships with me, not with just words on a page. Yes, I'm the author of that, but your relationship is not by keeping laws. Your relationship with me, saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Any amens to that one right there? Now, okay, now let me give you one last massive benefit of this whole thing. I want to go back to Galatians 2.20, and I want to read it again, because if you're new to the faith, this is a verse you should probably hear pop up many times in church. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives where? In me. Oh, in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Okay. <clears throat> if I live the old way, trying to keep laws I'm living by externals you follow me say externals the stop sign speed limit sign but he says he lives by faith and now Christ lives where oh so now as a born again believer I move from externals I have a relationship with externals to now I have a relationship with somebody living in me Christ amen You know, when I first got saved, I, I don't know if it was the same for you, but August 12th, 1979, in Anaheim, the old Land Christian Center, I got saved there. David Wilkerson was preaching, fire and brimstone preacher. I always say it took a hard nut like that to crack a hard nut like this. But I gave my life to Christ. I bowed the knee, I raised my hand, did the whole thing. And... Um, my life changed that fast. I was 23. 
sex, drugs, rock and roll, you name it all. My whole life was that way. But then, in a moment, it all changed. Now, for a 23-year-old, now it's baffling. I, I couldn't put any kind of thumbprint on it. So, how did this happen? How could I have changed? How could my desires change in a second? How's this happen? So, I couldn't. I couldn't pinpoint it for the first couple of years of my faith. I didn't understand that. But as I progressed on. I realized. You start to realize theologically that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Now stop and think about that statement, Galatians. That when we became Christians, if you truly became a Christian, you and I died on that cross, right? Yes or no? The old Jim don't live here anymore. I started to understand it. I don't live here anymore. I died with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then it started to make sense. Ah. So it moves from exteriors, trying to keep laws, to interiors. I've got the Creator, the Lawgiver living inside of me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, the reason why in that moment, and this is why it's a lot better, easier, lighter way, the reason in that moment was because I couldn't figure out what happened. Well, Christ came to live in me and he got inside of me. And so it wasn't a matter of keeping external rules that I could never keep in the first place. It became an issue of grace and faith. And when grace and faith came into play, Christ came in me, forgave me of all my sins, and I died. Jim Del Campo died. All his desires, all his old ways. And now I was alive to this new thing, and I couldn't put my finger on it until more teaching, more teaching. It's like, this is what happened in my life. Christ came into my life. In a moment of time, everything changed. That's why I could tell my friends, I'm not going to go clubbing on ladies' night Thursday night anymore. That's all I live for. I'm not going to go out drinking anymore on weekends. I'm not going to go smoking pot anymore. I mean, I was already getting bored with life as it was, but now I really didn't want to do these things anymore. And everything changed because it, it went on the inside, not, not on the outside. You know, and, and let me tell you, you guys know I have stupid, dumb illustrations, right? Okay, good. You're already aware of that. Okay. I always think of this when I think of that. Because this one is that, how many remember uh, the movie, the first Men in Black movie? Okay, good, 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 good. You're saved. Okay, good. <laughs> I remember seeing that movie. We had a, a, a church game as a group, went to watch the Angel game, L.A. Storm, and then afterwards, some of us went to the Van Buren Drive-In. This was in the 90s. And the church was very young. And I remember watching the movie. And remember that one scene where the, that, that spaceship lands and there's a big pit in the front yard? Anybody remember that? And the farmer goes outside? Do you guys remember that? 
He goes outside to investigate, and all of a sudden, he falls in the pit or something. It's been a long time. And all of a sudden, you see all kinds of dirt flying up and everything else. And, and, the, and the farmer comes out. At least you think it's the farmer, huh? It's not the farmer. And I'm only going to do this once per service. Some of you know what I mean. There was an alien who now took over his body, right? Remember him? He goes, Remember that? Okay. To do that twice, you'd have to tithe twice. Yeah. Some people say I'm a frustrated actor. I agree. I thoroughly agree. Uh, but what happened in that moment of time? Well, what happened was the alien came into the man, took over his body, took over his life, and now it was no longer the man who lives, but the alien who lives in him, right? Stupid illustration, ah. But that's exactly what happened the moment we came to Christ. If we truly gave our life to God, there's no more heavy weight. I don't have to be a legalist. I don't have to keep all these rules that feel good about me. Christ lives in me. Old Jim died. I live by faith, through gra grace through faith in Christ alone. And that makes my life a lot easier. A lot easier. And he lives in us. And you're absolutely saved. And I don't want any of you at New Beginnings to doubt it because you had a bad day of sin. Jesus took care of it. You're not saved by what you do, you're saved by what you believe. By what you believe. By what you believe. We're saved by grace alone. It's the favor of God. Through faith, our faith, through faith alone. In Christ alone. And that's it. And that's it. So if you're in this room today and you're not a born-again believer and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've never allowed the grace of God to come into your life, you've never got your life right with God, one sin will condemn a person to hell and you know you've committed about 30 to 50,000 of them. Just one. Because it turned this whole world into a corrupt world. That's how bad sin is. And only Jesus and his blood and what he did on the cross can save you. So if you'd like to put your faith in Christ, because you never have, because it's the best decision. I've never regretted it in the 44 years I've been a Christian. Or if you backslid, and who knows why you backslid? Who knows why the weight got too heavy or whatever it was or what temptations you went back? Whatever it is, it's time to get your life right with God. So I want you to close your eyes. No moving around. Christians pray. If you'd like to place your faith in Christ for the first time, great. If you'd like to come back to Christ because you backslid, great. But here's what I want you to do as a sign between you, me, and God to do that. I want you to open up your eyes right now and look right up at me. I'm going to look around, and when our eyes meet, you can close your eyes. Here we go. Now, those who looked up at me, I want you to... Repeat this prayer after me out loud. Everyone's going to say it with you, so you're not alone. But you just got to put your faith in Christ. Christ alone. The only Savior, the only God, the creator of the universe. Would you put your faith in Him? And you're going to ask Him to forgive you of your sins. He's going to wash them all away. And He's going to come live in you through the Holy Spirit. And He's going to change a lot of things for the good. So here we go. Repeat after me, everyone all together. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would come to earth, visit your creation, go to a cross for me, carrying my sins 
so I could be forgiven. Your blood was shed so I could be forgiven. Forgive me, Lord, of all my sins. Come into my life. I give you my life. I surrender today. Thank you for saving me. Now allow me to pray. God, I pray for everybody that looked up. First off, I appreciate you looking up. Because you made a great decision. It's a decision I made 44 years ago and I've never regretted it for a second. You're now in a relationship with the creator of the universe who loves you and gave himself up for you and now lives in you. Not by what you can do, but because you believe in him. You've jumped in. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for everything, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen and amen. All right, stand up, everybody. Repeat after me. Lord, keep me outward focused. And fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church. Because I see what I'm looking for. And make me into a generous person like you. If you have any prayer needs at all, remember also you can go in the corner. They'll be glad to pray with you. God bless you guys. We'll see you later. Have a great day. See you at Tuesday night Bible study. Ladies, tomorrow night. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.